Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. Today, we get to hear the after story of a birth journey from two perspectives. My first guest was imminently due with her second baby and planning a home birth when we spoke to her last and were joined by her doula turned midwife. She was her doula for the first birth and midwife for the second, Stephanie Damler and midwife Jessica Diggs. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for Thank having you us. so much. Yeah, this is fantastic. Through the magic of Zoom, we're all together and all <laughs> apart. <laughs> this okay. makes me wish I was pregnant again. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so I could hang out with you guys. Oh, yeah. First of all, you can <laughs> can you out. see my face? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> seriously? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can no. hang out anytime. You don't have to get knocked up just to hang out with yeah. me. Yeah. But I'm ready for another baby if you are. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, Never. Go ahead. All right. Last time, you know, we talked a little bit about your son's birth, Julian. Do you want to just recap that in a small recap? Oh, yeah. Um, I had Julian at the hospital and I delivered vaginally with Jess by my side in a very kind of crowded hospital room with my sister, my best friend and my husband my doctor and no nurse. We don't know where the nurse was. Hmm. Um, <laughs> it's a game you can and play. I, on certain nights at the hospital, I'm sure. <laughs> and I had really wanted to have an unmedicated birth. And as soon as we got to the hospital, I was not able to maintain that goal. I kind of fell apart from like the second we got into the car, everything amplified for me. And I was medicated and that was fine, but I was left at the end of it feeling, I told you this in the podcast, like I had failed at something or I didn't get my euphoria. I actually felt dropped off a cliff, but that's a separate, that wasn't because of the epidural per se. And when I found out that I was pregnant again, which was a huge surprise, I called Jess immediately. And I knew that this was, if I was ever going to have a home birth, this was my chance, my last chance for my last <laughs> child. Um, when you say your last child, it could be defined as this past child. Yes, Paloma, my daughter. This past child, but not necessarily with finality. Anyway, what I can't just leave hanging is where you said you felt like you were dropped off a cliff. What was that about? You know, that was a a little bit about the birth experience kind of going another direction that I hadn't wanted, feeling a loss of control. And then the cliff is becoming a parent. That's becoming a mother entering like half of it was physical like just recovering, but the other half of it was existential, for lack of a better word, just not knowing who I was, mourning my life, which I liked. I liked my childless life. I like did whatever I wanted. I mostly oh. had enough money. I was Mor- I was pretty happy. Mourning that <laughs> but, life, the, uh, the yeah. pre- pre-motherhood freedom. Yes, of course. And then also feeling so vulnerable by how much I loved my son. Like I'd never felt that vulnerable. I still, these children just like open me up. I have no defenses. And it was very scary. The first three months were very scary. I don't know so that, if you've said this to Jessica or not, but I know you told me in confidence, so, which I'll just share with everybody listening, that Jessica was the most useful person, professional at your first birth. Oh, I said, yeah, and smartest. Said, yeah, the smartest <laughs> yeah, and the smartest only one who seemed to know what she was doing. Um, <laughs> she was like holding the fetal heartbeat monitor, and we're just kind of looking around like, I wonder if anyone's going to come back in here. <laughs> I, was def- I was for sure thinking they have to be seeing this outside. They have to. So I'm just going to hold it to make sure they get a clear strip. Oh, good for you. It must be hard. I want to introduce you in just a minute and find out all about you, but since we're already here, it must be hard to watch Stephanie go through that, you know, unraveling of her birth plan and not being happy with that. I think processing the unexpected outcome of her birth is 
It gets easier to unravel and process with people. Um, it's not a new story, that portion of it, but I think the part that was the hardest specifically for her birth, and I think I actually just realized this, probably the hardest birth I had been at in the limbo phase of being a student midwife and not being able to utilize the medical skill set that I had in the moment because I wasn't licensed. But I think the whole trajectory of her journey and the dive into through matrescence and that transition into motherhood is not unusual. And more people just don't talk about it for new moms to be prepared for it. Yeah, I think that's a great point and can't be understated. But I've talked about this on the podcast before, so much emphasis on like, how are we going to get this baby out of me? And what kind of gear do we need? And then all of a sudden you have a kid and there's, you know, I waited when my firstborn came out, you know, it wasn't just the baby, like 15 minutes later, the placenta came out and then I kept waiting for the owner's manual and also the warranty. Like, if you don't like it, we'll take it back. Nothing else came out. <laughs> and <laughs> we just went home and felt like, oh, wow, they gave us a child. Uh, we have no idea what to do with it. And my wife was, I shouldn't say we, she like intuitively knew exactly what to do always. And whenever she was there, I was just in full panic mode. Um, now he's 16 and I'm starting to get the hang of it. <laughs> he actually just passed his driving test yesterday. Mm. Congrats to him. You're in big trouble. <laughs> I know, seriously. On the way home, I was like, let's go to Costco and see if they sell Zoloft in Costco's eyes because <laughs> I'm going to need that. <laughs> uh, they don't. Anyway, it's really challenging. But when your birth plan, I think when you don't, go into it with like a flow chart kind of approach where, yeah, I'm aiming for this, like, but it's very possible it'll go here, it'll go there. And if I want or need this intervention or that intervention, I'll get it. Did you not have any of that mindset going into your first birth? No, I did. And I, you know, a lot of it was lip service. And I would say, yeah, but however a healthy baby comes out, I think what I was responding to was the shift. I had labored at home for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, I'd started laboring at 2 a.m., just got there for the first birth at like 9 or 10, and I was doing it. Mm -hmm. And I had this sense of being able to kind of keep my head above water. And then I said this in the last podcast, by the time we got to the hospital, I was just like hysterically screaming, like not in the zone anymore. And then when a nurse told me that I was only four centimeters, I mean, this is part of what Jess is referring to because Jess said, I wish I could check you. I know you're not four centimeters. <laughs> but once I heard that news, my mind shut off. And that's not really about like flow charts and interventions and am I going to get Pitocin or not? It was personal and emotional. And that's the part I regretted. I could have had a C-section and felt better about it than I did about the way that worked, if that no, makes sense. It totally makes sense. I, I just, I, you see it all the time. People laboring at home, just great. And then all of a sudden you get to the hospital and it's not like they necessarily even do anything. Sometimes you just get there and I don't know, your adrenaline kicks in or fear kicks in. It almost reminds me of this little cat video that I once saw on YouTube. Uh, the cat, you can hear her meowing in the uh, closet, giving birth to her kittens and the pet owner is so excited that he gets his uh, video camera and he goes in there. And as soon as the light hits the cat, you can almost see her cervix lock shut. And there's a kitten halfway out of her and she just gets up and she starts doing a different meow, walking, pacing back and forth. And then eventually she goes under the bed where it's dark and you hear her birth meowing again, giving uh, birth to her next kitten or two. So um, it's almost like that's what's in my mind when we're laboring at home and it's great and you're in your own room, you're in your own bed, your own toilet, your own snacks, your own everything. And then all of a sudden you get into a hospital. For some people, it's really reassuring. But for a lot of people, it just makes everything tense up. And then when they, you know, they start doing their things, it's almost like you check some of your autonomy at the door and now you're in playing by their rules. And uh, I think your nervous system knows that. So maybe that's what happened. I don't know. I wasn't yeah. there. I was not invited I to mean, the party. I think you're spot on, Berlin. I also know that 
I'm pretty sure I was like, I need them to check you again. And then you were six, not long after that initial check, maybe within an hour or two. So also that's a lot of change for a first time mom in a short period of time. And no one reassured her of that during that immediate check. Like during a check, even if you're four, I'm describing other things I'm feeling like you're a stretchy four. This, this means this, you know, versus just hearing you're four after all the work you put in is defeating. It yeah. literally deflates every aspect of strength you have in your body temporarily, but it is a momentary sense of defeat. Yeah. I mean, four to six is that's like just bigger than a Ritz cracker to almost the size of the diameter of a can of beer. That's a lot of change. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, just imagine I, how, how many more carbohydrates you were at six than you were at four. This is a powerful analogy that they Thank need you. to start using in education. <laughs> My kids Dr. always Dr. Berlin's <laughs> snack chart of dilation. <laughs> Carbohydrate dilation. My kids sometimes call me when I'm out of birth. They're like, Dad, you almost done? I'm like, nah, we're between the Ritz cracker and the beer. They'll call you when we're almost at the donut. <laughs> yeah, just before the bagel. Anyway, Jess, where wow. are you from? And how did you uh, end up in L.A.? I, I remember meeting you a long time ago. You had like this crazy energy and passion. You're like, I'm going to deliver babies. And I think you said you were going to be an OBGYN, which is like, <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah. because you weren't even in medical school yet. Then a lot of times people mm -hmm. go through all the medical school and they, and it's not until they're exposed to all the different specialties till they pick something. You were like driven to this field. Yeah. So I'm you were originally like from. Nine. I'm what? I said you were like nine years old at the time. <laughs> you were so young. I mean, I was I'm just still saying. a baby. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm originally from North Carolina and I heard about birth work and doula work at 19. So I was a baby. How? So I was in college and was fascinated mostly from reproductive and sexual health. Like I was, I could not understand why my friends didn't know more about their bodies. So I was always the girlfriend when there was a bump on their butt or something or false pregnancy or scare I was the person they talked to it about so I loved learning all the things and was really confused why most people didn't know more about their bodies so when I started studying that childbirth got included and then I also realized that that lack of knowledge transferred into childbirth and birthing people still didn't know anything about their bodies or the process, including their options from where to deliver to all their interventions. And I wanted to be the person to educate them. So I got into it from education space. I don't have kids of my own and wanted to make sure people knew what was available to them. And I thought, I also wanted to be an option, so maybe I'll just be an OB because in North Carolina, the laws for midwifery are too restrictive for me and my personality. I knew I didn't want to be a nurse, let alone a nurse midwife, just in terms of the supervision clause. I don't play nice with authority in that way, so I was like, I don't want to do that. I'd rather be the OB in the room and the OB that can back the local midwives because I knew that was a struggle in the state and still is. Yeah, um, so powerful from a young age. I'm stubborn. I don't know if it's powerful. <laughs> I think it's powerful. You know it's inspiring to me. Well, thank you. But yes, yeah, so I went to school. My background's biology, anthro, and I uh, was pre-med, <laughs> super nerdy. I hide it well with my charming personality, <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm a real nerd. And I moved to LA because I interviewed at UCLA and Charles Drew, which is a historically black college in, in Compton. I think it's in Compton or maybe Linwood, but they had a small program with UCLA where 25 students could serve the underserved areas of Los Angeles instead of do just the UCLA rotation. And I wanted that program. So I was waitlisted and decided I'll move to LA. If I don't get in, I'll live here for a year because I didn't know what urban healthcare meant anyway, because I was from North Carolina. <laughs> and we have urban areas, but not really. Like our cities are not cities. So I was like, I'll move and work in the area to learn it better so I can serve it best whenever that time came. When I reapplied, I would, had been in L.A. for a year and a half. I was well connected in the birth community at that time, had been to a few home births and birth center births, and realized I lived in a different state that had a different licensure for midwifery, and I uh. didn't have to 
spent 120 grand to do what I wanted to do and to avoid doing what I did want to do because I never wanted to do surgery. I have a bad past with the little mice and I won't stay what I used to do them for PETA reasons, but oh, I don't wow. want to do surgery on people. So wow. I was just like, oh, I know I don't want to do that. Why am I going through this schooling to do only half of that work? And I realized that midwifery school was an option. And so I wow. literally left my interview and rolled to midwifery school. That's, I mean, that's a big transformation. I want to find out the rest of the journey because you had steps to becoming where you are now. Let's take a quick break because I have a question for you about a bump I have on my body. We'll be right back with Jessica Diggs and Stephanie Daimler. (laughs) Hey, everyone. It's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally. Omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new Omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Stephanie Dandler and midwife Jessica Diggs. So that's a big journey. I didn't realize, like I knew and I was already inspired when you wanted to be an OB so you could sort of go against the system, (laughs) you know, and to work with the midwives and the people who wanted to be more holistic in their approach to pregnancy and birth. And then it makes total sense why, you know, once you're in California, which is a totally different set of midwifery rules, that you switch gears for midwifery school. But before you became a midwife, you were an insanely popular doula. So first of all, how is midwifery school and how is doula training, like being that busy as a doula and unpredictable while you're in midwifery training, share with the group? Mm, It was an insane few years. I have a couple dozen of pounds of weight to prove it, which I'm fine with, but it was an insane few years. Typically, as a full-time doula, which I've always been since moving to L.A. and loved doing, I attended two to four births a month. And then once I got into midwifery school and more of the clinical phase, I was probably going to an additional two to five births a month, um, depending on where I was working. Yeah, so I started out at a busy birth center, and then I did two small home birth practices, which was nice. But one was in Ventura, so my tailbone, I saw you a lot during that time. Um, My tailbone was bothering me from driving in the car so much. And then I finished up at another busy birth center where I was with the birth center. We were seeing four to eight people a month on top of my two to three to pay the bills. I mean, it would be a lot of time even if it was scheduled. But the fact that you never get to know or choose when it's going to happen and how long it's going to take, I don't think people realize sometimes how crazy that is on your mind and body. I mean, it's crazy. And I have found that I loved this season of life that I don't have kids and I didn't have a partner. Like I, for my friends who went through this and had that, I don't know how they did it because I came home to my very expensive weighted blanket and I can always sleep. There's no one to come home to. So actually, I can't even say it was hard, but I'm like, but I also went through school with a person who had their third baby while we were doing that. So I'm like, it was not that hard Ooh, I remember in that. comparison. <laughs> so we did, I, a, we did an episode about that on the Real Midwives yeah. of uh, Los Angeles. Yeah, I had been doing this lifestyle for almost four and a half years before I started midwifery school. So I just kept doing the lifestyle. I also have great boundaries when I'm off call and I'm not an overly anxious person. So I don't feel the stress of people being in labor like at all. They're just in labor. So I think it was, it was okay. Um, I mean, that's so calming to the people who are in labor. (laughs) 
the fact that you don't get all stressed out about it. I would think we, we can ask Stephanie. I hope so. I've never been in labor <laughs> in your presence. Um, well, that brings us back to Stephanie accidentally getting knocked up when her kid was like, what, how old was Julian? 30 days old? He was, yeah, oh God. <laughs> um, I'm like terrified that this will happen again, <laughs> but we're only, we're only seven weeks in, so I'm not scared. You're seven yet. weeks in, but, but that's uh, almost two months. And last time it was like, what, like, seriously? Like no, 10 months it, or was, like that? it was almost 10 months. Okay. So nine months here. You're only seven months away from it possibly accidentally happening again. I was just saying, did you not know that you could get pregnant or was it the rosé speaking? I did know. I'd had two periods and I was tracking them with a very popular app on my phone that still to this day says I was not ovulating or close to ovulating on the day that I conceived my daughter. Oh. So I was misinformed and I wrote a letter. Don't worry. <laughs> with a picture. They probably have a lot of pictures. There's probably but nothing. I will to... say, I know, just like pictures of positive pregnancy tests yeah, with like curse words. Not ovulating, huh? <laughs> but I think looking back, I had just stopped breastfeeding. Oh. It was my first ovulation post breastfeeding. So I should have known that my cycle was going to adjust afterwards. But she was meant to be here. and um, She was meant to be here. And my family's complete. And she's the best, best oh. baby. <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. Now, I want to find out more about how she got here. I know that you <laughs> planned a home birth for your second one. And then conveniently, Jessica finished her uh, midwifery and got all licensed for you. And I also know, like, in the office, we had some moments, you know, some intense moments. And... I think at least one time you said to me, like, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to do this? And so where was that coming from? Did you really wonder? Like, did you have a lot of self-doubt about it? Oh, yeah. I had a ton of, I had a ton of self-doubt. And it was almost like I was performing a woman who is confidently about to give birth or a woman who's excited because... I wasn't ready for it, but I was like, this is going to go all wrong. The pain is going to be too intense. I'm going to fall apart. We're going to be in an ambulance. I'm going to have one contraction. I'm going to call Jess and I'm be like, I'm already at the hospital. Sorry. I can't do it. <laughs> um, but working with you, talking to friends who had had home births and just having so much contact with Jess, it's this like constant uh, affirmation that this is the path I'm going down. It's just trying to normalize it, right? Like talking to as many people as possible who see birth on a regular basis and see women who aren't particularly tough. Like I'm tough emotionally, but I'm not tough physically. And I would always ask Jess, I'm like, did a regular person just do this? Just like a regular person just gave birth in a tub in their living room? And she's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, anyone can do it. And so... That was all really helpful, but I will go, even the day before, I was talking to my friend Ruby, who had had a home birth, and she was so excited, and I thought, you're a psychopath, that you're so <laughs> excited that I'm about to go through this pain, like, you have full-blown amnesia, I wasn't excited, I was like, I'm going to live through it, that was my goal, to live through it. Uh. I, I, you know, I sort of feel like, look, you know you the best, but I work with like 15 pregnant people a day. I feel like you are physically very tough. I meant like, I don't love pain. I like, I'm used to be an athlete and I can run a lot of miles in a decent amount of time, but I'm not, and I guess I have tattoos, but other than that, I love painkillers. Love. I love drugs. <laughs> to like take me away. I love wine. Anything that like gives you um, a little bit of a buffer. So I don't think of myself as particularly tough. Again, I'm just comparing you to the several thousand other people that I work with. <laughs> I feel like you can take it. Most people don't like it, even if they can take it. Yeah. But I feel like you can take the heat. You're pretty strong. And my impression of you is that you're like 99.5% what's going on in your mind. Like, mm -hmm. if you feel safe and relaxed and confident, I feel like there's nothing you can't, you know, breathe through and surrender to if you know you're safe. 
But if you don't feel safe, I feel like you fight yourself. It's natural instinct, right? We all, if we don't feel safe and we feel intensity, we're supposed to try to protect ourselves and survive. And you're just a really strong fighter. You're a very solid opponent for yourself. I mean, it's the ultimate UFC match of Stephanie versus Stephanie. And, you know, as interesting as that would be to watch, it probably isn't that fun to feel. No. Free therapy with Dr. Berlin, everyone. Go get your adjustment. Um, I think that Jess would agree with you, and we talked yeah. about the mental aspects. That was definitely going into it. That was where I knew it could be tricky. Who was? Um... It's funny that it just ended up being a non-issue. <laughs> I'll get into that when I tell a story. We'll get there. Before we take uh, one more break, who was supposed to be there? Who was supposed to be at your birth? What was the plan? Well, no one because of COVID, but Jess, (laughs) um, an assistant, and my husband. I mean, in another world, I had a vision in my head that my sister would be there, my best friend would be there, and I'd be in a tub in the center of my living room, and there would be candles lit, and I see these birds on Instagram all the time. <laughs> like, the woman is just kind of like, mm, mm, <laughs> through her contractions, and then the baby pops out into the water. Yes. And so I was going to have one of those birds. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, I have no, no idea. Just for the record, I have no idea how your birth actually went. I just know the baby's here. And we specifically didn't talk about it so I can hear it for the first time. We're all going to just have a quick glass of wine and we'll be right back for <laughs> the big story. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Stephanie and Jessica. All right, how did this thing start? Well, Dr. Berlin texted me Sunday morning to see if I wanted to come in because I had been trying to get an appointment with him all week, but he was too busy. And I thought, I don't want to turn down this opportunity, but I think I might be in labor, which is partially how it started. But really, Dr. Berlin, before you texted me, I had woken up at four and had like cramps, really strong cramps. And I thought to myself, I'm ready. I'm three days before my due date. Let's get this show on the road. Woke my husband up. We had sex, which is supposed to help, which Jess had told me. I was like, Jess, if I start to feel these cramps, what should I do? She said, have an orgasm. I was like, oh, God, disgusting. (laughs) You didn't didn't mean Matt for that, though. (laughs) It's true. I was being kind to him. (laughs) <laughs> but um, <laughs> and after that, they turned into contractions, and I could definitely talk through them. And that's when Dr. Berlin texted, and I was like, "Oh God, if I don't go into labor, I definitely need to see him. Like, I'm gonna need help, but I might actually be in labor. So let's see how this Sunday unfolds." I get that a um, lot. Of people are always like, "Let me try this orgasm first, and if that doesn't work, then I'll come see you." You probably do get that a lot, actually. No. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately more more often than i know um and eventually probably at like 9 a.m we're like gonna text jess and she happens to be in the neighborhood and she has our tub and she comes over and we're making pancakes which we do every sunday for my son when i had one child we did fun things like (laughs) now now we eat off the floor like animals (laughs) and Jess, you stayed. We all had pancakes together. She watched Winnie the Pooh with my son and (laughs) had some pancakes and touched my stomach when I was having my little baby contractions. And um, it was like a beautiful, beautiful morning. I mean, you already got accomplished more in that morning than I can usually get done in the whole day. (laughs) Well, you know, I had had support. Yeah. yeah, her husband's cooking. I'm like, it smells good. It's fresh fruit. <laughs> There's a cute kid watching a show I hadn't seen in forever. It was lovely. It's nice. Oh. All in a day's work. <laughs> and, and so, Jessica, did you hang out because you thought things were heating up or you're uh, just hanging no, out? Because they were feeding me. Oh, okay. Now I know no. the secret. 
yeah, looking at her, I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to go home. I'm going to drop this tub off. But then they offered pancakes. And I was like, oh, I'll stay right Ah, pancakes. so you went to bring the tub. <laughs> yeah. Um, while I was there, things did pick up. But that's usually what happens in my presence. I <laughs> <laughs> bring on the contractions. But I, yeah, I definitely knew it was early. And it was just normal. Just to eat yeah. some breakfast with them. And what happened I, I was, from there? Well, I was talking through them. The one thing Jess said, because we were on the fence about calling my in-laws. They live three and a half hours away for to take care of Julian. And she's oh. like, get Julian out of the house. <laughs> get Julian <laughs> out and your things will start to speed up. Because we're talking about like, first of all, inconsistent. And then like 15 minutes, 12 minutes, 20 minutes, 11 mm. minutes. Like they were all over the place and not concentrating. So while we waited for my in-laws, I took Julian to the park and he decided that this was a great day to be a effing nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) He's just like laying in the dirt, screaming. He doesn't want to ride his scooter. He doesn't want to fly his kite. He doesn't want to play with his truck. And I was (laughs) looking at my husband like, he's got to go because my contractions have stopped. (laughs) I'm sweating and they completely stopped. I was on a walk with my screaming toddler and gone. I got home. I laid down for a nap. Nothing happened for like an hour and a half. My in-laws came and I'm waiting. They take the child away and Matt and I look at each other and we're like, wait, why didn't we do this earlier? We have never been away from Julian for a night. The house was so quiet. I cannot describe the bliss and sunshine and freedom that I felt in those hours. We opened a bottle of wine. We sat on the couch. We watched a movie. We went for a big walk. (laughs) And it was the loveliest afternoon of my life without my child with a lot of time ahead of me and my contractions start again, as Jess predicted, but they're not consolidating. They're still kind of erratic and I'm not having anything less than 10 minutes apart. And we're on this walk and I'm doing the curb stepping walk and it's starting to get dark. And I think to myself, Dr. Berlin told me it was gonna be quick. And Jess told me it was going to be quick. And this isn't very quick. (laughs) I have been laboring since 4 a.m. And now it's almost 6.30. So I texted Jess and I said, I'm going to lay down because I know what's going to happen. This is going to pick up at 2 a.m. And I'm going to be screwed for the entire time because I'll have been up since 4 So I lay down and I got into this like side lying position that I had been reading about in this funny Bradley method book that I had, but like, I was like all propped on pillows. And as soon as I laid down, my contractions intensified, like they turned into the kind that start in your lower back and kind of wrap around your hips. And then you can't talk you're just kind of like frozen in them. They hold, they, they're gripping your body. And as soon as I laid down, I thought, oh, that's a real contraction. That is really painful. The earlier ones, you kind of can just like, you could stretch a little bit and your eyes can focus. And so I laid there in the dark. I did some meditations. I did the breath work thing that loom loom and breath work did a series of breathing mm-hmm. exercises i did those and i'm timing my own contractions and they are exactly 10 minutes apart not nine not 11 10 minutes apart and this goes on for three hours Ooh. and i i can't sleep People because the contract oh people lied. (laughs) 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 We're getting to that part where I realize that I have been tricked. Um, (laughs) Three hours and I'm, I'm fairly relaxed. I'm feeling in my zone. They're not so painful. They're not breaking me. I'm really kind of on top of them. And every single time I'm like, the next one's going to be nine. The next one's going to be eight minutes. The next one's going to be seven. And they just stay at 10 and Jess and I had set up a call at like 10 PM for us to talk before she went to bed and just have a check-in. 
And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should take a bath and try to slow this down and go to sleep or if I should start pacing the halls and try to speed it up. And eventually at 1030, I texted Jess and she has the timestamp. So it might have been 1020. (laughs) But I was like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to go to the front of the house and get on the birth ball. At this point, Matt's asleep next to me. It's dark. I've been laying there doing these like funny moany breaths for hours. And I was like, I'll just go stretch and bounce around. My house is quite small. It's a thousand square feet. I walked from the back of it to the front of it. And the very first contraction threw me to the ground. And the next one was two minutes right after it. And the one after that was 90 seconds. <laughs> and the one after that was two minutes. And I was on my hands and knees in the living room. And I thought, I think I need to call Jess back. Like we just, we just <laughs> talked and I was like, nothing's happening. Everyone's a liar. <laughs> I, I, this is longer than my first labor. Um, I also was kind of excited that was like the moment where I was like, oh, wow, this is happening right now. So we texted a little bit, but then either she told me or I think she did. She was like, wake up, Matt. I was like, oh, yeah, my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so I get Matt and I wake him up and it's 11 p.m. And I'm losing control of my limbs at this point. My arms are flailing. I can't stand on my legs anymore. And I'm starting to scream. (laughs) Like there's no breath work. There's no moaning. I am screaming. And Matt is running around half asleep. Like what's happening? What do I do? What's going on? And he gets in contact with Jess and Jess is on her way. I just so want to add timing to all yeah, of this. So yeah. she was still texting me. I'm coherent in between. About to wake up Matt at 10.57. Matt texts me. I'm taking over updates. Steph is puking, diarrhea, intense contractions, moaning <laughs> at 11.07. <laughs> Ten minutes later, he's taking over. Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, oh, I, okay. Yeah, I did. I texted you. I'm coherent in between. Like, everything's fine they're just coming really fast and I wake up Matt and I get into the bathroom and I am pooping (laughs) I am puking into a trash can in my lap and I have totally lost control I'm I'm, I'm covered in sweat and so Jess what time did you arrive I arrived at 11 30 oh pretty fast yeah Mm -hmm. she lives pretty close she gets there and I am just like, Jessica, I'm not doing this. And she said, you're not going to be doing this much longer. And I said, how do you know? <laughs> and she said, it's a look. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you just knew everything about it was like, ah, this is the shift we've been waiting for all day. And this is the part that is fast. <laughs> To clarify. <laughs> yeah, that part where you're like in bed with nothing happening. I don't think that like, uh, <laughs> Yeah. I just knew. And we get, oh, this is it. She sends Matt to go fill up the tub. And oh. the tub is like filling up like with a trickle of water. Oh, it takes time. And, yeah, it takes a lot of time. But Matt is like out in the front, focused on the tub. And I get into my tiny tub, which I told in my last podcast, I was like, my tub is terrible for birth. Like it's (laughs) too small. I can't straighten my legs. I get into my tiny tub and I'm miserable. I get out immediately and I'm sitting on the toilet and I'm having contractions holding on to Jess. And at the end of one, I like grunted and we like looked at each other. I was like, I think I pushed. She's like, I think you pushed too. (laughs) She's been in the house like 10 minutes, maybe. The assistant hasn't made it there yet. And she said, do you want me to check you? And I was like, yes. So I lay down on my bed, which Matt had made with the terrible sheets and the plastic sheets. On purpose. (laughs) Yeah, on purpose. 
And Jess checks I, me. I yeah, go, go get ahead. my glove because nothing's in the bathroom. So I get there, Matt's doing the tub thing. And I was just like, he's like, should I do this? Like, I'm just going to leave you to do this. And I go to Steph in the bathroom, which the way the house is set up, it's a thousand square feet, but it's long. So I go all the way to the back and sit on the floor of the bathroom. And I'm just watching, I'm like, ah, we're going to get close. So I have to go get everything in the front of the house because I didn't have it with me. So I drag my kit all the way to the back. And I like look at Matt. I was like, you need to abandon the tub. <laughs> it's not going to happen. He's like, oh, okay. And so uh, then we gather everything to check her on her bed. And you can take it over from here. Well, I, shocking to everyone, I am 10 centimeters and the head is coming out oh my goodness and she said you're ready to push and so i like hop onto all fours on my bed and i'm like everyone says and all those ina books they're like pushing feels incredible oh when it came time <laughs> to push it felt so good even dr berlin is telling me like orgasmic birth so i am like prepped for some pleasure and the first push i was like Oh, hell no. <laughs> I am not doing this. I had the thought, like the animal panic. I thought, I'm going to suck her back in and stop <laughs> and stop the labor because I'm definitely not going to push like this. I also started pooping. And I just like, I turned to Jess and I said, I can't poop in my bed. I just, I don't want to poop in my bed. <laughs> And she said, let's go back to the toilet. And I mean, at this point, Matt comes back into the bathroom because we are like at the pushing stage and he's on one side of me and Jess is on the other. And I gave a couple pushes. I wasn't trying that hard because it hurt too badly. And the like wise inner voice was like, you are fighting this and you have to go through it you have to go through it to get to the other side. So then I started pushing for reals and baby girl was in the sack. Oh, really? Baby came out in the call? No. Not to, <laughs> not totally. <laughs> no. But she like came, head it was out and then a nice pop over the toilet. Oh, nice. I mean that's good placement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. for, for easy cleanup. And Jess was like, she's in the sack. And I was thinking to myself, that's why it hurts so badly. It's not her little head. It's this balloon I'm trying to push <laughs> through my vagina. And head came out, burst, body. Jess, what do you think? Like eight pushes total? Oh, I mean, it was like two contractions. Yeah. Also, wow. the assistant showed up five minutes before and she like popped her no. head in. She's like, hi, I'm Julia. You're doing great. <laughs> it, it wasn't even five minutes before. Like I was trying to run to make sure she got in and not miss the birth. So in between moving to the toilet and oh, the next yeah. contraction, I ran to the door to like holler out onto her street just so Julia can follow my voice oh, wow. <laughs> to get to the house. And then I ran back oh, my goodness. and she made it in. She got there. She got there for the water breaking, which was a minute before the baby was born. Can so you imagine she if, like three minutes? Can you imagine if it was a two thousand square foot house? I know she wouldn't have made it. Nobody would have made it. All that running back and forth. Wow. So what we're talking about is Jess got there at eleven thirty, and Paloma was born at twelve oh nine, and I got up from bed at ten thirty. So it was an hour and a half of labor. Solid labor, yeah. yeah. So we didn't lie to you. No, no, you guys yeah. were right. We're right. <laughs> no, you um, were right. Yeah, and obviously your pelvis was open nicely. Obviously, I had been adjusted to perfection Mission to deliver. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> baby think, came out like butter. You could probably would have. I don't know if you could have done it without me. Anyway. <laughs> What was that, that moment when you just, I mean, the baby was out. Sometimes when that happens, it's so quick. It's just like, like you didn't even have time to get out of your mind. You were still thinking about everything consciously. I mean, just the way you describe it. Most people don't even remember that much detail because. Yeah. Because when I said earlier that you can't think, what I meant was that I thought that I would be in my head thinking about my options. 
Like, oh. oh, I can go to the hospital. Oh, I don't like this. I like, you can't think outside of the next contraction. All the things that I thought would be really difficult for me, I didn't think about once. I didn't think about the hospital. I didn't think about getting an epidural. I didn't think that I was in danger or the baby was in danger. Like I had no conscious thoughts about that. But I was recording my story because I'm a writer and <laughs> that's just what I do. And you're a great storyteller too. I sort of picture a one-woman show in your future. Next, next stand-up, I'll be a guest. I just oh, tell absolutely. Their stories, though. Yeah, as soon as this pandemic's over and we can get back into small rooms and make people cough up uh, aerosol, because that's what we try to do. The more aerosol, the better in a comedy club. I do have a couple of questions. How was recovery physically and emotionally compared first birth and second? No comparison. I think the greatest part of a home birth is being in your home afterwards and the level of care and quiet and peace that you feel, especially if you kick your toddler out of the house. I had like the most blissful 24 hours after Paloma was born. It was really special and sweet. To your earlier question, it happened so quickly and you can't catch up to the fact that, you know, that moment that she came out, I was still fighting for my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't like, oh, my baby's here. I'm like, what do you yeah. mean my baby's here? What are you talking yeah. about? Even looking in on that moment, like you're not here and Matt is taking it all in of like how awesome you were. The fact that y'all's child was just born and you're physically and mentally not present. You're just like holding her, but like kind of glossed over. Totally. It's like it's, total it looks totally shock. different on both parents. But during that sort of, you and Julia were there for an hour and a half afterwards. Everything went really slowly in like a beautiful way as far as just like the placenta and Julia made me a snack and cutting the umbilical cord. And it felt like we had all the time in the world. And it was during that time that I started to absorb what had just happened. Mm -hmm. And that is like such a graceful period that you don't, really get in the hospital at all the baby is way taken from you even if you ask for delayed cord clamping they delay like 30 seconds it's just so 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 different and then the rest of the recovery i mean i didn't tear i don't know how i just just how how did i not tear i tore the first time and I felt like the body's done this before and I was supporting her perineum. I felt her like be birthed into my hand. I was there. Toilets are my favorite. I just stuck my hand in between her legs and just held my hand there until a kid came out. People think it's crazy. As I've been telling this story, I think they envision all home birth happens in a tub and the toilet seems like the best spot to me. It's personally. my favorite spot personally. I mean, just the observation <laughs> of a male doula when someone sits on the toilet, it's just, I think, a little Pavlovian that everything mm -hmm. just kind of opens up on there in that mm -hmm. neighborhood. And so you do see people just like go on there to pee for a minute and then stay there for three hours because it's just mm -hmm. such a comfortable spot for them to do what they animalistically do anyway. Yeah, and I think for Steph, if she was in her head on the bed around pooping on her bed and so to get literally like people won't push their babies out they don't feel safe or comfortable and that could be as simple as I don't want to poop in my bed or something more drastic but when she got into the toilet she could like release and relax and get the job done amazing mm -hmm. what a beautiful birth story thank you so much for sharing yeah it was really incredible and not in the tub surrounded by people listening to music. You could hear me down the street, according <laughs> to Jess and the assistant. Yes. Um, but I did it. Yeah. <laughs> but I did it's it. It's so funny though, cause like your birth was exactly what I imagined for you, but you had a different picture of it. Like I didn't expect you to be silent in a tub completely just chill. Like your relaxation is a very active process. Just in the few years I've known you, like you work to get to a peace of mind. It's not just like a tranquil thing. Mm -hmm. And so you did that entire labor and that's like you birth how you live. And that's beautiful to me, not the blissed out quiet home birth. 
Sometimes you got to roar your kid out over the toilet. Screaming, I'm dying, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just looking at her like, this is what I envisioned. This is perfect. <laughs> it, it was, though. It was, God, I'm so fortunate. It so was. Fortunate. It was beautiful. I love both of you, and I can talk to you forever. And I don't know. I do think we should do a, a new podcast, the No TMI podcast. We're working on a concept here. I really appreciate both of you being here and just sharing your, your expertise and Stephanie sharing your personal story. I do have a question. Where can we find both of you guys online? Jessica, where's your midwifery info? My website is my name, jessicadiggs.com. I'm also on Instagram, just at Jessica A. Diggs. Jessica A. Diggs. Mm-hmm. I'll be following closely. And uh, Stephanie, where do you find you and your magical writings? My website has links to most things that I've written, stephaniedandler.com, but I am on Instagram. I think Twitter is weird and dark. So mostly on Instagram at smdandler. Sweet, but not tweet. <laughs> you guys have a great night at home. Thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. If you like our program, share us with your friends. Leave us feedback. Give me a star or two in the ratings. And for more pregnancy and parenting related media, visit Informed Pregnancy. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a whole lot of questions for you. This kid's gonna test my will. I got a lot to learn, and my baby's too. Ha, 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 ha.